This week, FDX Group Alameda Research filed for Chapter 11. Judge Warbath disallows $223 million make whole claim in Hertz. REARG analyzes Chapter 11 fees received by investment bankers' financial advisors. U.S. Bank seeks to revisit dismissal of appeal of Windstream confirmation order and related unity settlement. Hello and welcome to the REARG Podcast, where we bring the latest developments in high-yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm David Zupkis. For this week's deep dive, REARG reporter Ellen Schneider and America's legal analyst Mike Legg cover a busy week in the world of crypto, including FDX Group's Chapter 11 filing, what led to the collapse of Sam Bankman-Fried's empire, and whether crypto winter is shaping up to be more of an ice age instead. It's Friday, November 11th. In a rapid fall from grace, FDX Group, including FDX US and Alameda Research, filed for bankruptcy in the U.S. Bankruptcy Court for the District of Delaware on Friday. Indications of problems what was recently at the third largest cryptocurrency exchange became critical this week after crypto exchange Binance walked away from a proposed distressed acquisition of FDX.com, the group's international trading business. Binance initially made a non-binding offer to acquire FDX.com but halted the transaction after initial diligence uncovered a liability gap up to $6 billion, stating that the reports of mishandled customer funds and U.S. agency investigations put the situation beyond their control or ability to help. Bloomberg has reported the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission and Commodity Futures Trading Commission are investigating whether FTX.com properly handled customer funds as well as its relationship with other parts of Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto empire, citing people familiar with the matter. Yesterday, before the bankruptcy filing, Bankman-Fried had asserted that liquidity issues were confined to the non-U.S. side of the business, stating that FTX U.S., the U.S.-based exchange that accepts Americans, was not financially impacted and is 100% liquid, with every user able to fully withdraw. Bankman-Fried said the platform saw roughly $5 billion of withdrawals on Sunday, the largest by a huge margin. On Wednesday, Judge Mary Walrath resolved the sole open question in the long-running Hertz, Maycola, and post-petition interest litigation by ruling in favor of the debtors, concluding that the Hertz 2026-2028 senior notes redemption premium is the economic equivalent to unmatured interest and therefore subject to disallowance. Judge Wallace said that the court had to look at the substance, not the form, and that nothing in the payment calculation changes it from the nature of interest, adding that if something is calculated by interest, it is essential that what comes out has to be interest, and concluded ultimately that the note holder's $223.7 million make-hold claim is subject to disallowance under the bankruptcy code. Judge Wallace said she would issue a written opinion in the near term and would certify the expected appeal of the decision to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. Judge Wallace's December 2021 decision had held that the Hertz note holders' post-petition interest claims should accrue at the federal judgment rate rather than the higher contractual default rate, but left open whether the redemption premium of the notes is the economic equivalent of unmatured interest and likewise subject to disallowance under the bankruptcy code. According to Reorg Credit Cloud, financial advisor hourly rate increases have translated into an increase in the total fees debtors pay FAs, particularly in freefall Chapter 11 cases without a restructuring support agreement in place on the petition date. Hourly fees have increased by roughly $100 to $200 an hour relative to four years ago, depending on the position. Investment bankers also see an uplift in fees as a percent of pre-petition debt in cases that result in a sale of all or substantially all of the debtor's assets and or financing transactions. Through Credit Cloud, Reargers analyzed the fees for financial advisors and investment bankers to debtors in almost 400 cases since 2018. In addition to data pulled from initial and final fee applications, Credit Cloud also includes case descriptive information and allows users to not only analyze fees, but also compare fees with types of cases, including the outcome of cases, such as whether the case results in a 363 sale or reorganization. If you would like to learn more about how to access Credit Cloud by Reorg, please reach out to a Reorg representative. 
On Tuesday, U.S. Bank, the trustee for Windstream's unsecured notes, petitioned the Second Circuit for a rehearing on Bank of the court's October 25th summary opinion dismissing U.S. Bank's appeals of the Windstream confirmation order and related unity settlement. According to U.S. Bank, the rehearing is justified because the so-called outlier test applied by the three-judge panel in dismissing the appeals has not worked in practice and has not been adopted in any other circuit. U.S. Bank argues that the applied equitable mootness standard fosters an abdication of Article III court review of bankruptcy court decisions. U.S. Bank also disputes the panel's finding that U.S. Bank failed to diligently seek a stay of the plan, arguing that the notes trustee properly sought a stay from the district court when consummation of the windstream plan was imminent and could demonstrate irreparable harm. Top Red Stories this week included non-participating CERTA 1L lenders refiled lawsuit challenging up-tier exchange in New York State Court, Cygnus amends Washington Prime squeeze-out complaint, adds allegations regarding failure to provide information to minority equity. Fallout from U- recent U.S. priming recaps continues. Companies highlight surging costs as Fed raises rates again. Teneco and Nielsen launch LBL financing deals in otherwise quiet primary market. Orpia considers unsecured debt equitization in second round of talks. Claims agents claim they entered ex-claim agreements in good faith, relied on ex-claim representations regarding discussions with clerks of court. And now here's Kathy Ta from Los Angeles with The Week Ahead. Hello, this is Kathy Ta. The week ahead is heavy with court events, so let's get started. On Monday, November 14th, the Cineworld Group debtors and National Cinemedia will be in front of Judge Marvin Isger for the first time over ongoing disputes related to their advertising contract. Specifically, the debtors will push for a preliminary injunction against National Cinemedia after the court issued an emergency temporary restraining order about two weeks ago. The TRO protects the Cineworld debtors' rights to pursue options to replace the advertising contract and found that National Cinemedia had violated the automatic stay when it sent reservation of rights letters to third-party providers that were negotiating with Cineworld. Also set for Monday is Judge James Garrity's bench ruling on the Endo International Debtors' contested request for a 270-day preliminary injunction. The relief, if granted, would stay governmental opioid litigation against the debtors and includes a voluntary operating injunction that would prohibit any allegedly harmful conduct by by the debtors of the type alleged in the government actions. The judge heard oral arguments on the matter yesterday, Thursday, November 10th. Further lined up on Monday, November 14th, is the Brazos debtors combined hearing on final disclosure statement approval and plan confirmation. The plan is supported by all voting classes and reflects settlements with the majority of the debtors' stakeholders. The Voyager Digital Debtors request for a roughly 60-day extension of their planned filing and solicitation periods to January 2nd and March 1st, 2023, respectively, is set for Tuesday, November 15th. Although the debtors got approval of their sale to FTXUS on October 19th, which was going to be consummated through the Second Amendment plan, the debtors and the Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors announced this afternoon a reopening of the bidding process after the FTX group debtors entered bankruptcy this morning. Tuesday, November 15th, we'll also see the La Forza debtors seek approval of the sale of their drilling rig and other assets for $60 million to winning bidder Operadora Sisksa. The backstop lender's $40 million credit bid is the backup bid. Several hearings are scheduled for Wednesday, November 16th. Judge John Dorsey will take up Ector County Energy Center's request for disclosure statement approval in connection with the debtor's liquidating plan. This plan on file is subject to amendment to incorporate a recently announced global settlement among the debtor's direct energy business marketing, energy parties, and Credit Suisse as agent for pre-petition secured lenders. 
Expect to also see the state of Washington push ahead on its efforts to block Albertsons companies from paying a $4 billion dividend in connection with its merger with Kroger. The state successfully obtained a TRO two weeks ago pending a preliminary injunction hearing that is scheduled to begin on Wednesday, November 16th, with Thursday, November 17th, also slated for the hearing. In continuing bankruptcy industry update coverage of the ex-claim disclosure miscellaneous proceeding, claims agents linked to the claims trading platform will appear before Judge Martin Glenn on Thursday, November 17th, as to why sanctions should not be issued against them. The agents have asserted that sanctions would be inappropriate because they entered into their arrangements with ex-claim in good faith and without knowledge that the agreements were improper. On Friday, November 18th, Judge Martin Glenn will turn his attention to competing motions between the Celsius network debtors and contract counterparty mining rig servicer Core Scientific. The debtors say sanctions should be imposed on Core Scientific for breaching the party's master service agreement in violation of the automatic stay. Core Scientific, on the other hand, says it should get immediate payment of administrative expense claims for overdue charges under the MSA and automatic stay relief to terminate and pursue remedies under the contract. As for earnings, they will be reported on Wednesday, November 16th by Bath and Body Works and on Thursday, November 17th by Macy's and The Gap. That's it for me on this Veterans Day, Friday, November 11th. Veterans Day celebrates the service of all U.S. military veterans and originally commemorated November 11th, 1918, the day that was the end of the war to end all wars, otherwise known as World War I. Specifically, an armistice was signed between the allies of World War I and Germany, which took effect at 11 in the morning of the 11th day of the 11th month of that year. The following year, in November 1919, after a formal peace agreement that was the Treaty of Versailles was signed, President Woodrow Wilson established November 11th as the first Armistice Day to honor veterans of World War I with the aim of perpetuating world peace through goodwill and mutual understanding between nations. However, in 1954, after World War II saw the greatest military mobilization efforts in U.S. history, numbering 12.2 million military personnel by 1945, and following the U.S.'s engagement in the Korean War, the day was renamed to Veterans Day to honor veterans of all wars by President Dwight Eisenhower, as requested by veterans service organizations. As we celebrate Veterans Day today in 2022, please consider funding efforts to support our veterans, including at the easy-to-use U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs website, which has a donate online portal. That's it for me on this Friday, November 11th. Now back to you in New York. For this week's Deep Dive, we are reporter Ellen Schneider and America's legal analyst Mike Legg cover a busy week in the world of crypto, including FDX Group's Chapter 11 filing, what led to the collapse of St. Bankman-Fried's empire, and whether crypto winter is shaping up to be more of an ice age instead. Hello, I'm Ellen Schneider, a reporter at Reorg, and for this week's Deep Dive, I'm joined by uh, Mike Leggy, an analyst on America's core credit, to discuss this week's fast-moving news in the world of crypto. Welcome to the pod. So... Let's get into FTX's filing, how this came to be, and what we're going to see next in crypto. So we learned this week about some pretty serious liquidity problems for FTX. How did they get here? Well, it's overused, but the Hemingway bankruptcy quote gradually then suddenly fits here. Suddenly fits as a description of this week's events with FTX, the industry's third largest exchange, and with his charismatic founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, one of the highest profile crypto players having a decided fall from grace. But as we'll get into a little bit later, 
there were kind of a background rumblings that kind of make this more of a retrospective gradual occurrence. Mm -hmm. But looking from the outside into the world of crypto, people just fell in love with this story of a 29-year-old MIT-educated wonder kid acting as the adult in the room, a second coming of JP Morgan in the digital age. But now he's being called the new Bernie Madoff. After bailing out lender BlockFi for $240 million after the collapse of the Terra Luna uh, ecosystem earlier in May, it seemed like FTX was the white knight of the industry. Although its bailout of Voyager failed, FTX had been set to bring over the Voyager customer and asset base with a $1.4 billion bid in their bankruptcy. Of course, the fact that Alpameda owed Voyager $375 million when it filed while simultaneously extending a supposed $500 million of post-petition bailout financing, of which only $75 million was ever drawn upon, seems a little bit more questionable in retrospect. So kind of serious rumblings of FTX's problems began on November 2nd when somebody leaked Alpameda's balance sheet showing that the bulk of its assets, 5.8 billion of the overall 14.6 billion of assets reported consisted of FTX's proprietary FTT token with the bulk of the rest in Solinda's tokens. This relevation apparently prompted Chengpeng Zhao, Binance's CEO, to announce that he was liquidating the 500 to 600 million dollars worth or so of the FTX FTT token that Binance had remaining after cashing out in its exit from FTX's equity last year. So Altameda, which is uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's hedge fund, half of his um, crypto empire with FTX and FTX US being kind of the exchange-based half, asserted that the leak balance sheet didn't reflect 10 billion or so of other assets and um, Altimeda offered to purchase the FTT tokens directly from Binance. But uh, according to Twitter scuttlebutt, Zhao moved to liquidate in the open market and Altimeda wasn't able to hold a 20 something price peg with the price quickly crashing within the matter of days from uh, 20 to 25 range to a current $2 range. So at this point, it seems like this is less of a liquidity problem and it's really more of a solvency problem. Okay, well, let's back up a little bit because things seem to be going so well. So where did it all go wrong? Yeah, so as I mentioned, uh, kind of the FTX half of uh, Sam Bankman-Fried's empire was kind of the public facing part of the platform where um, he spent a lot of plus publicity, naming stadiums, sponsoring F1 racing teams, NBA players, you name it, kind of in the names of kind of generating the sort of uh, market value and brand recognition to uh, attract customers to the trading platforms. But uh, and everybody was in everybody bought the story. Big, big players from Sequoia, Tiger Global, BlackRock. I mean, even the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan went on in on the action of this great <laughs> story. And uh, this like took uh, FTX's uh, value, you know, exploded through a series of financing from beginning from a $1.2 billion valuation in its Series A in kind of July of 2021 to 
a kind of a peak culmination of $32 billion in its Series C, um, you know, uh, in early this year. And um, to only to plunge to uh, a, a sole token dollar in the proposed Binance deal that uh, ended up falling apart uh, this week. Um, you know, I mean, they had it all. They had Tom Brady and flashy ads, um, all these endorsements and, uh, you know, a $130 million naming deal for the Miami Heats arena. I mean, what could go wrong? Absolutely. And I mean, it all seems to be about the hype when it comes to crypto, but let's talk about when things did start to go wrong. It seems all too frequently there's these sort of incestuous lending practices that go on between crypto companies. Um, do we know how much of that is going on here? Yeah, I mean, there you know are substantial questions of eth ethical violations and going all the way to accusations of outright fraud. I mean, keeping in mind that you know things are moving very quickly at this point, and these are all allegations, and uh, you know all we have right now is a bare bones petition that with no real. Um, clarity on on creditor base or or assets but um you know despite overall you know this has been kind of a long-standing point of speculation in the industry that you know despite bankman fried's assertion that alameda research you know his kind of pet trading hedge fund platform was entirely separate and apart from um ftx platform you know a platform built by traders for traders is it for traders or is it just for uh, Altimeda to use as its own trading platform? You know, there were there were indications to the contrary uh, that there this really wasn't quite a, a third party independent relationship. And indeed, that's kind of proved to be the case as they are jointly uh, filing Chapter 11 petitions together. So, uh you know, moving back a little bit, you know, the principal allegations kind of fall into kind of two buck buckets, kind of a, a general accusation that Alameda was kind of front running customer trades as a market maker on the FTX platform. But um, really, the real meat of it is, um, you know, questionable intercompany arrangements that potentially extended to use or people would say misuse of customer funds for Alameda's benefit. Um you know, of course, compounding all of this and, you know, uh, is the leverage in inherent in um, FTX's business model and, you know, uh, at and often generally in, in kind of crypto market speculation and, uh, you know, and especially kind of the use of a propriety, you know, uh, an ecosystem's use of their proprietary token as, you know, as an asset on their balance sheet. Um, you know, so the use of FTT, um, FTX's proprietary token here, um, kind of prove, you know, potentially was kind of the 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 TNT under the under the house when you know you have a primary balance sheet asset with a very limited float or tradable market, but comprising, you know, a substantial or you know perhaps majority of your kind of uh, lending and asset base, you know. This this alone could have been risky enough to blow up Alameda, but kind of the real question is how were FTX's customer funds involved in 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 the overall arrangement? So, you know, unlike Coinbase, you know, another exchange that 
doesn't really offer margin products. Um, FTX, you know, bread and butter is it's kind of on leverage products. So, you know, you're inherently kind of rehypothecating your customer collateral, lending it out when you're kind of um, it, you're itself acting as a lender to your customers. But you know, the question is, did they cross a line between lending out customer funds to third parties kind of in the ordinary course of their exchange lending? Or was this kind of just a wholesale conflicted management move to, um, you know, use FTX's customer assets as a blank check piggy bank for the benefit of Alphameda? So in a nutshell, what seems to be the story is that uh, that FTX loaned out customer assets and got back. FTT, um, you know, the proprietary token in exchange with Altameda also exposed to FTT. And, you know, that's all well and good as long as FTT is, you know, has, you know, maintains uh, its capacity to be a stable source of value. But um, as we know, um, volatility is kind of inherent in, in markets, in financial markets generally. So, you know, and can sometimes be especially magnified in, in the crypto markets. So, uh, you know, so as I mentioned, you know, Altameda owed, uh, you know, 375 to Voyager, you know, another exchange. And there was industry speculation, which is seeming more and more likely as the benefit of hindsight increases that Altameda might have blown up basically at the same time as three arrows capital in the aftermath of the Terra Luna collapse in May. So, and, uh, you know, as low, you know, some, you know, internet uh, uh, crypto sleuths on Twitter who are, are much smarter than I at analyzing blockchain transactions have, have kind of um, put a spotlight on some potentially speculative transfers that um, might've occurred in May, but didn't really surface on the blockchain until September, um, which, coincidentally is around the time that Brett Harrison, the president of uh, FTX US resigned. So, you know, the kind of the dominant theory at this point is that Altameda, you know, was caught up in this and used uh, FTX's customer deposits as collateral to um, borrow money, lend it to Altameda and kind of plug the hole um, and kind of hope that over time they could make that money back and uh, and kind of gradually deconvert their balance sheet from this FTT uh, token predominance. But, you know, that was all well and good. But uh, once once uh, the FTT token started to plunge in value, um, you know, you can't really maintain your uh, credibility as a lender and kind of set off this cascade in a classic, classic bank run. So. Mm, absolutely. So when we think about where FTX is at now, I mean, they've made some efforts this week to make up for this liquidity shortfall, but nothing really seemed to be sticking. Can you walk us through what they tried and why it isn't working? Well, you know, it, initially we had, you know, the the rescuer FTX becoming the rescuee um, with Binance, um, you know, an even larger cryptocurrency exchange kind of stepping in with kind of a, a well, in hindsight, for, for the the nuance was a non-binding letter of intent to 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 um, purchase um, FTX in kind of a distressed buyout, but I, uh, you know, after, you know, and 
things seemed kind of rosy for for a short time, but uh, we, you know, after just one day of diligence, uh, uh, Binance walked away from the deal. Basically, pointed to um, you know ongoing um, uh, regulatory investigations. Um, those same allegations of misuse of customer funds um, that we discussed earlier and and threw up their hands. Um, you know, uh, <clears throat> uh, FTX. You know. Bankman Freed and FTX didn't give up. Um, you know, they they tried again with kind of another um bite night, Justin Sun kind of out of the soulless uh crypto um ecosystem, uh kind of stepped forward and um put together kind of a credit facility, but um it was kind of limited in its capacity. It was kind of uh, set up to be kind of a weekly uh, confidence builder, but, you know, it was initially funded for only about $13 million. So, you know, not much to plug, plug billion dollar holes. So, and, uh, you know, we, you know, there, there was kind of reported fundraising efforts um, with, um, uh, you know, some reporting that, you um, there was a, a conglomeration of different folks, you know, um, throwing in a billion here and a billion there. There, one billion from Tron fund founder Justin Sun again, you know, one billion from um, o, OKX, um, one billion from Tether, two billion from others, including Third Point. But um, you know, this 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 was all kind of in a single sourced uh, article and uh, was kind of quickly met with denials from um third point and tether um question for you for you alan is uh any as a reporter any thoughts on the danger of single sourced articles does this uh smell like it was maybe sourced from someone at at ftx was the was the call coming from inside the house <laughs> i mean it's possible you know it certainly read that way um and there's a reason that we double source everything here at reorg it's obviously important to corroborate your information, but it's also important to consider who is telling you what and why. And I just think some healthy skepticism is probably a good thing for any story. Well, I'll, I'll keep that in mind when I'm reading things on Twitter, especially with <laughs> this new uh, um, blue uh, blue check verification regime. So we'll yeah. see if uh, Twitter's integrity as a source of information holds up. Um, um, <laughs> In, in these times, but um... yeah, um, but you know, looking forward, um, given what's gone on this week, do you think there are any implications for other crypto companies? Um, you know, given this FTX filing, who should we be watching? Exchangers, lenders, uh, miners, and do you foresee, you know, another series of collapses and filings? Well, if if you ask any bankruptcy lawyer, they're they're just going to talk about bankruptcies. So you know, <laughs> I, I so former bankruptcy lawyer, you know, it it seems seems difficult, you know, given given, you know, I mean, I guess the silver lining is there's already been kind of a pullback in risk taking from Terra Luna. So you know, I guess you're kind of, you know, maybe you're not going to fall from as high, and um, maybe you know, there's been. Um, an increased level of discipline across the industry, but you know, an obvious name that comes to mind is is BlockFi, which um, you know mentioned earlier was bailed out by FTX earlier this year. They you know they paused withdrawals from their platform yesterday. Something that um, 
you know, every every exchange that's gone down Voyager Celsius is done shortly before they filed. Um, you know, I think I think we're I don't think I'm breaking it, but I think I think we're in the course of reporting uh, during this podcast that they've retained restructuring counsel. So, you know, there's definitely you know, there's definitely contagion possibilities, sort of like we, we've seen from Carolina that took down, you know, a, a subset of people. Um, you know, uh, it's 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 definitely something that we're looking on, and I I I, I suspect we'll be looking working together, Alan, on on some very very various crypto exchanges. I know, um, uh, kind of a recent trend I've been looking at is uh, a number of the exchanges that have been kind of proactively trying to um put for, put out their balance sheets you know not get ahead of any sort of leaked balance sheet issues that okay. Altamata had so you know the what I'll be looking into over the weekends is looking at who hasn't come forward and tried to yeah. um um put 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 forward some, from some information so um yeah okay great well i mean then we have to think about the impact on the ongoing crypto bankruptcies of Voyager and Celsius. Um, it seems Voyager will be most impacted um, now as they will need to find a new buyer, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly right. I mean, unfortunately, you know, Voyager's left with something. They've got they've got a 10% deposit, uh, but uh, unfortunately, they, they seem to have only got a 10% deposit of uh, $5 million of their... Um, rather than a 10% of the $1.4 billion transaction value that included kind of the overall customer crypto, crypto assets in the platform. So, you know, hopefully that 5 million will tide them over for a little bit as they seek a new buyer. And, uh, you know, they're they're definitely facing a potential chapter seven liquidation if they don't, um, you know, with the white knight of FTX off the table, you know, and, you know, I, you know, <laughs> definitely the, 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 the good cheer in the room is is kind of flowed out of the room. Um, you know, it's a little bit more bleak, though. Uh, you know, Crosstower uh, has recently indicated that it had kind of put in a better bid for crypto asset uh, for Voyager than than FTX, but um, you know that of course assumes that uh, Crosstower itself is is still healthy. So um, you know, it just dims the prospects for Celsius as well. I mean, they they hadn't even kind of had a buyer in in hand yet um so um and you know just additional headwinds against um prospects of reorganizing either as kind of a continuing exchange um you know this the exchange values have kind of uh you know kind of dimmed those prospects except for you know the people who have proved to be stable um so um you know might be difficult for celsius to reorganize going forward but um we're just gonna have to see okay and so Shifting gears a little bit, you know, one of the big questions in these um, crypto chapter 11 proceedings so far has been the recovery for customers and whether or not they ever actually owned their assets. So is there any indication of what we can expect from FTX on that front? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, we we don't have the benefit of Binance's uh, diligence and just kind of any indications of what degree there was or was not kind of a misuse of customer funds here. So, um, you know, absent that, absent kind of a little bit more detail on how FTX's terms of use break down with respect to customer assets being held truly in custody. 
or being part of kind of a rehypothecated lender program that whereby, you know, their assets would be commingled with assets of the, uh, you know, commingled and ultimately be under the law, be assets of the debtors rather than uh, leaving, you know, not your keys, not your crypto, leaving, leaving crypto holders with um, general unsecured claims. Um, so, you know, just, uh, you know, recent, uh, you know, claim pricing update for, for Celsius, you know, has, um, you know, those lucky enough to be in kind of the custody program, you know, enjoying potential 70% recoveries. I mean, that's before, mm -hmm. you know, the this week's, uh, you know, decline in the price of Bitcoin. So I imagine that's, that's down from there. But, you know, you compare that, that 70% to the, you know, you know, around uh, 22 to 27% for, for the earn program, which is that the earn program is the, you know, the commingled assets on, on Celsius platform, you know, it's pretty significant depending on, on how, how those terms of use for those accounts shake out. Okay. Well, great. Well, I think this might be all we have time for today. There's so many interesting questions yet to be answered in this sort of wild west but um thanks mike for coming on the pod today and i look forward to delving into what's next in crypto well it's been an exciting week i i bet uh, next week is going to be um just as exciting if not more anyway uh, i'm sure we'll be speaking and working together soon so thanks absolutely thanks thank you again for listening to this rear weekly review you can find all our podcasts on the rear.com webinars and podcast page as well as spotify itunes soundcloud and amazon Hope your families are healthy and safe. Have a great Veterans Day weekend. We'll see you next Friday.